Great. Well, morning, everyone. It'd be uh, lovely if you turn in your Bibles now to Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 16. We're going to be reading that short passage uh, shortly, but as, uh, as you find that, let me pray for us uh, before we look at it together. Father in heaven, we've already read in Psalm 19 that your word is sweeter than honey and more precious than gold. Father, we pray that that would be true for us this morning, that your word to us would be of greater value than any worldly treasure. Help us to listen intently to what you have to say and help us to do what it says. For Jesus' sake, we ask it. Amen. Great. Well, as you're uh, probably aware from the introductions, we begin a new series this morning looking at our values, those things that we hold dear to us as a church. You should see them come up on the screen, four values. As a church, we want to be Bible-shaped. We want God's Word to be at the center of all that we do. As a church, we want to be people-focused. We want to give our time and our attention to people. We want to see people come to faith. We want to see people grow in godliness and in grace. As a church, we want to be prayer dependent, to lay all the activity of the life of this church at the feet of our Father in heaven, because we know unless the Lord builds his house, the builders will labor in vain. And lastly, as we thought about last week, we want to be mission-minded. We want to share God's heart and God's concern for those who are lost. And all we're going to do over these next couple of weeks is to take each of those in turn as we think about what it looks like to, to live out, to live out these values in all of life. You see, we don't just want them written down somewhere on a piece of paper, filed away in a drawer. We want them written across our hearts. We want these values to impact our lives to inform, to, to shape our practice and our behavior as a church. And of course, as Stuart has said already this morning, there's, there's nothing new here. These values aren't new. They've been the, the bedrock of the life of this church for longer than most of us have been alive. Which means our purpose this morning isn't so much to, to open our eyes to something new, but more to realign our hearts and our minds with things that are actually very old. In fact, if you do go back and reread the life of the early church, Stuart's alluded to Acts chapter 2 already, if you go back and read verse 42 to 46, it's a lovely little window into the life of the early church. And as you watch the early church in action, you will see those same four values present. Bible, people, prayer, mission. Bible, people, prayer, mission. And all the way through the generations of this church, any healthy church will have at its center Bible, people, prayer, and mission. Go as far to say as any church loses any one of those values, they will cease to be a healthy church. And this morning, we're going to focus on the first of those values as we try and ground what it looks like to be a church that is increasingly shaped by the word of God. And the passage before us is Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20. Hopefully that is open now in front of you. By the time we come to this point in, in uh, Matthew's gospel, Jesus has died 
on a cross for our sin. He's paid in full what our sin deserved at the cross. He's risen victoriously to new life. Jesus is alive and he's about to ascend and return back into the glorious presence of his Father in heaven. But before he does, he leaves his disciples and he leaves us with these famous last words. And Joyce is going to read those to us now. Listen, if you would. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Thanks, Joyce. On board with it all. Apparently, the last words that Winston Churchill uttered before he slipped into a coma back in 1965. Friend, applaud. The comedy is over. The last recorded words of Beethoven when he died back in 18. 27, and then finally, I'm losing it. Frank Sinatra's final contribution back in 1998. Famous last words. And that's exactly what we've got before us this morning in Matthew chapter 28. Famous last words. Not those spoken by great politicians and musicians of the past, but spoken by God's eternal Son. And look at the context for these words. Verse 16, have a look down in your Bibles. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. That's not just a geographical note. Matthew spotted them walking up a mountain. No, it's incredibly significant. You see, throughout the Bible, mountaintop moments are important moments whether it's Abraham going up Mount Moriah to sacrifice Isaac, or Moses going up Mount Sinai to meet with God and to receive the law of God, whether it's Elijah going up Mount Carmel to call down fire from heaven where God revealed himself as the one true living God, or Jesus going up the Mount of Transfiguration where he gave his disciples a glimpse of his divine glory. Well, here we have another significant mountain top moment. And whenever you hear mountain in the Bible, you want to tune in your senses. You want to listen up because something significant is going to happen. These are important words. As Jesus commissions his church, he's not just speaking to those original disciples, but to all who seek to follow him who profess faith in Jesus. There's two headings for us this morning that I want to look at these words under number one. Firstly, our mission. Our mission is that of making disciples. Now look again, verse 19 and 20. Therefore, says Jesus, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, 
in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you, always, to the very end of the age. As you can see on the screen there, I've underlined four words, four verbs that Jesus uses in this passage, four things that Jesus tells us to do. Go, make, baptize, and teach. Now, it may not be crystal clear in our English translation, but in the original, in the Greek, one of those is the primary verb. The other three verbs are supporting verbs. And the primary verb in that passage is to make. To make disciples. That's where Jesus wants our focus to be. We're called to make disciples of all nations. How do we do that? Well, we do it by going, by baptizing. And lastly, by teaching. You see, we cannot make disciples of Christ unless we teach the words of Christ. Let me say that again. We cannot make disciples of Jesus Christ unless we teach the words of Jesus Christ. Hence our focus this morning. On God's word, it's been there all morning, hasn't it? Throughout the children's talk, the introductions, the word of God. Bring out the book, bring out the book. To be shaped by the word of God. But before we think about that aspect of teaching, I want us to pause for just a moment. As Jesus does, this is where his focus is primarily. As we think about what it means to make disciples. You see, Jesus doesn't say make friends, does it? As nice as that might be, as important as that might be. He doesn't even say make converts as necessary as that might be. No, he says make disciples. Lifelong, wholehearted, fully committed followers of Jesus. All in for him. All in. Not partly in. All in for the Lord Jesus Christ. You may have heard of a guy called uh, John Lewis. He's got nothing to do with a shop. He was a civil rights pioneer in Alabama. Died a few years ago, and this is what Barack Obama said of him. Mr. Lewis, and here's the phrase, gave all of himself for the cause of freedom and justice. With a slight tweak, that would be a beautiful epitaph, would it not, for every Christian believer? A lovely thing to have written on our headstone. Colin Wells gave all of himself. Not part of himself, not just a little bit here and there. He gave all of himself for the cause of Christ. Christine Williams gave all of herself for the cause of Christ. It's what Jesus has in mind when he speaks about making disciples and we try to capture that in our in our vision statement that you'll see come up here on the screen to present people mature in christ it's why we exist as a church to present people mature in jesus christ taking those words from the words of the apostle paul colossians chapter 1 verse 28 we proclaim him that's jesus admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? 
so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. To this end I labor, says Paul, struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works within me. Paul gives himself to this end to present people mature in Christ. Jesus says make disciples. Paul says present people mature in Christ. It's the same thing. They're saying the same thing. People who are mature in him. You see, it is our job and our joy, not just to, to bring people to the cross in that moment of conversion when they say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, but to help them progress, to, to move on to, towards spiritual maturity, to help them grow as followers of Jesus Christ. You see, here's the thing. If you're a Christian here today, you're a Christian because people throughout the generations have taken those words of Jesus seriously. They themselves have progressed towards maturity in Christ. The original disciples that were up that mountain, when the risen Jesus first gave those words, they took them seriously. And then disciples throughout the generations, they made disciples and they made disciples and they made disciples and they made disciples all the way through time and space as the gospel went forth across this globe. And then at some point in space and history, someone in your life, a loving parent, a friend, someone at church committed to making a disciple of you. That's how it works. When people take the words of Jesus Christ here seriously and teach the Bible into other people's lives. And that leaves me asking a question this morning. Who are you discipling today for the sake of the generation tomorrow? Older ladies, would you consider reading the Bible with a younger lady? Older men, would you consider reading the Bible with younger men? Mature believers, would you grab hold of a new believer and pour your life into them, open up the word of God with them, nurture a living faith within them? Parents, will you commit to opening up the word of God with your children, knowing that the word of God is the word of life? Who are you discipling today? For the sake of this generation and the generations that are to come. Firstly, our mission is very clear. Our mission is to make disciples of all nations, all people groups, no exceptions. All people need to hear the promises of God. And then secondly, this morning, our method. Our methodology. How do we go about the process of making disciples? We go and we baptize and we teach. You see, there's nothing passive, is there? In Jesus' language, nothing passive in the process of making disciples. All these words are, are, are active words. They're verbs. They're doing words. We need to be intentional with these things. And that's what we see, is it not, in the book of Acts. When Jesus says to these original followers, wait in Jerusalem until you've been clothed with power from on high. 
On the day of Pentecost, when the power came, when God's spirit came to live within his people, they went. They did what Jesus said, and they went to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Some went to other towns and cities. Physically, they went to a different place to make disciples there, to take the gospel to other lands. Others stayed in the village or the town where they were, and they committed to making disciples there. You see, the issue isn't where you go. Jesus isn't saying that you need to get up and leave Scoria and go to somewhere else. There's plenty to be done here, right? Jesus is talking about an attitude of the heart, a willingness in our heart to take responsibility to make disciples of all nations. And so I wonder what that might look like for you this morning. And I'm sure it'll look different for different people here in this room. But what does it look like for you to be less passive and to be more active in making disciples for Jesus? Firstly, go, be proactive. Secondly, baptize, says Jesus, be public. Baptism, you see, is a, is a bold and visible symbol. It's a, it's a very clear thing to see of what God has already done in the heart of a human believer, in the heart of a Christian. Wash clean of your sin, move from death all the way through to life. That's why we go under the waters of baptism. It is a symbol of going down into your death, of saying goodbye to the old way of life. And as you rise up out of the waters, wash clean through trusting in the work of Jesus on the cross, you rise to a new life saying, Jesus is king, not me anymore. I'm going to live for my king, Jesus and not myself. In short, baptism is a beautiful, bold declaration of faith. You see, there's no such thing as a private faith. When people speak about, oh, I've got a private faith, that's, that's my faith. The Bible doesn't actually allow for that. There's no such thing as a private faith. A personal faith, yes. A private faith, no. That's why Paul says what he does in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believing in your heart will result in a declaration of your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, we must never separate our public declaration from that personal inward experience that God has brought about in your heart by the work of his spirit. I'll never forget uh, a church weekend away that we had at Long Crendon. And we had a, an outside speaker come in. He was taking us through Romans chapter 6, thinking about what it looks like to put to death the old self, the sinful nature, or in Paul's language in that chapter, to be buried, to be buried with him in baptism and one of his applications and you can get away with this probably when you're an outside speaker was brilliantly and wonderfully blunt but I'm going to get away with this morning because I'm going to quote him and this is what he said if you're a Christian and you've not yet been baptized don't be so selfish if you're a Christian and you've not been baptized don't be so 
selfish. Be baptized firstly in obedience to Jesus as he speaks of here and as God's word speaks of elsewhere. But secondly, so the church can celebrate and the world can see that you love Jesus. Because baptism is a personal declaration of your faith, but is something that we unite in as a church. We rejoice in together an opportunity to encourage each other and show this world how much Jesus matters to us. I'm aware that's not been possible recently. It's been one of the challenges, has it not, of COVID that baptistries have been shut. But as far as I'm aware, they are now open again. And so if anyone has not yet been baptized, I wonder whether you would think about that seriously this morning if you trust in Christ and maybe come and chat to either Stuart or myself at the end. Firstly, go. Be proactive. There's nothing passive in what Jesus calls us to. Secondly, we baptize. Jesus says baptize people. We want public followers of Christ, people who are unashamed to nail their colors to the mast and say Jesus is Lord. And then thirdly, verse 20, to teach. Make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You see, it's not just our job to pass on information. It's not what Jesus says. Look again at the language. Teach people to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. Not a few things, not some things, not the bits of the Bible that we like. And I'm just going to slide to one side the bits that I'm not quite so keen on. We teach people to obey all that Jesus has said to submit fully, fully to the Lordship of Christ in every single part of our life. Or to put it another way, we cannot make disciples of Christ unless we teach the words of Christ. When I say that, I mean all the words of Christ. And so for the last few moments, I want us to try and ground what that actually looks like in practice. How do we listen to God's word in a way that we will be increasingly shaped by the word of God ever more into the likeness of Christ? Because I hope that's the ambition of your heart this morning. I hope every one of you sat there saying, I want to be more like the Lord Jesus. If you do, it is the word of God that will shape you into his likeness. So how then do we come before the word of God and allow it to shape our hearts and our lives and inform our practice and our behavior? Four challenges for you as we finish. Number one, prepare to hear God's word on a Sunday. If you've been brutally honest, I wonder how you describe your typical Sunday morning. Rushed or restful? Full of activity and noise and loads of stuff going on or full of prayer? Centered on you or, or somebody else or centered on God? I wonder, did you arrive here this morning with a real sense of expectation that the God of heaven who threw the stars into space is going to speak through his word to his people this morning? Did you arrive with a real expectation that that was going to happen? 
You see, it really matters how we walk into church on a Sunday. It matters how we prepare our hearts to hear the word of God, what we do before we arrive, how prayerful we are, how restful we are, how focused we are, how desperate we are for the God of heaven to inform our lives and shape our hearts once again. Firstly, prepare to hear God's word on a Sunday. Secondly, meditate on God's word through the week. Don't just prepare to hear on a Sunday, but meditate on that same word throughout the week. Or as one author said, we're called to meditate on God's word like a cow chews its cud. Don't know whether you've ever heard that expression. I need to explain. You can see Stuart rolling his eyes at the back. As a cow chomps on its grass, you ever seen it? It grinds it round its mouth, and you see its lower jaw round and round as it, as it grinds that grass to get all the goodness out of it. It swallows it down. Do you know what it does then? Throws it back up. Why? It chews its cud, and it grinds the grass again in its mouth to get every last ounce of goodness that it can out of that grass. That's how we should chew on the word of God for the week or to bring it back to our attention, to, to lodge it once again in our head and in our hearts, to prayerfully push it into our lives, not just to leave it on a Sunday and march off into our week, no, to meditate on the things of God, to chew it over again and again and again, to think about it, to pray about it, and to talk about it with others. That's why we've produced these resources every week. That's the vision of those resources. Listen up. A sheep primarily for our young people, but for anyone for whom it's helpful to think and to, to listen as carefully as we can to the preaching of God's word on a Sunday, to take as much in as we can, table talk, to go home with your family after the morning service and go over it again. What have we learned? How has God challenged us this morning? And then digging deeper throughout the week, we go back again and again to the word of God and we dig deeper into God's word and we meditate upon it and we pray about it. And the more we do that, the more we'll be changed by the word of God in our hearts. Let's not leave what God has said here on a Sunday morning. We need to take it with us into the week. Firstly, prepare your hearts to hear on a Sunday. Secondly, meditate on God's word for the week. Number three, talk about God's word with others. You can see how all these interlink, can't you? I wonder, is that something that you do with each other? Do you talk about God's word with each other? I know that's been incredibly hard, hasn't it? This last season of church life when we've been separated physically from each other. But as those restrictions begin to ease, as we begin to find ourselves in each other's homes again, will you make it a priority to talk about the word of God? So easy, isn't it, to talk about other stuff? Weather, tide times, the collapse of the European Super League, whether I've been vaccinated, whether I've had double doses, all these different things, we can fill hours, hours of conversation with these things. Wouldn't it be glorious if when we are with each other, particularly as a church family, but also with the world, that it became the most normal thing to talk about the words of God, what we've been learning that we just want to share and we want to talk about 
with each other. I've got a practical challenge for you this morning. I'm going to try and leave you with one very practical and earthy challenge each week for the next four weeks. And here's your challenge for this week. To have at least one conversation every day with one other person about what you've read in the Bible. And if you're sat there thinking, well, that feels a bit daunting, let me say it again. One conversation in one day with one other person about what God has been thrilling your heart with in the Bible. That's how we begin to create a culture that becomes so normal. We head outside after in our little groups of six. We can do that now. And we don't just turn our attention to other things. We talk about what we're learning. Talk about what God has been saying to you. Because maybe he wants to say it to somebody else as well. Talk about God's word with others. And lastly, commit God's word to memory. Chuck Swindle, great American name, American author, said this. I know of no other practice, no other single practice in the Christian life, more rewarding, practically speaking, than memorizing scripture. Setting time aside to learn God's word, to push it into your heads and to prayerfully push it into your hearts. As we read in Psalm 119 verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. To hide the word of God in our hearts, to take it to the deepest recess of the human heart, that we might draw upon these wonderful promises of God in those moments when we need them most. To memorize scripture, it is one of the most precious disciplines you'll ever give yourself to in life. That's why in our parents impact, many of you might not know, but we've produced a parents impact for, for younger families. And one of the resources in there, we've called Victory Verses. Key Bible verses to commit to memory. Really simple truths from the word of God and to learn them as a family. That we might draw upon these gracious promises. Not just in the difficult days, but in all the days that they might fashion us, they might shape us from within. So it's not rocket science, is it? If we prepare to hear God's word on a Sunday, if we meditate on God's word throughout the week, if we make it so normal to talk to each other about the word of God, if we commit God's word to memory, then you will grow as disciples of Jesus Christ, full stop, it will happen. God will shape you day by day, evermore into the likeness of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing that is. What a precious, precious book you have before you. Our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. Our method is to go, to be proactive, to baptize. We want public believers of the Lord Jesus and proclaimers, people who are committed to the word of God. And as we give ourselves to this work, we do so with the encouragement of one of the most precious promises that we find in God's word. And it's there in verse 20. The last words in Matthew's gospel. Great words to finish on, aren't they? 
And surely, says Jesus, I am with you always to the very end of the age. As we give ourselves to the mission of Jesus, we don't go in our own strength. We go in the strength and the power and the authority of the risen Lord Jesus, the one who sends us. We go with his blessing. But there is one final challenge as we close, which is this. If the promise, and you can see it now in your Bibles, verse 20, if the promise is valid till Jesus comes back, till the end of the age, then the command is also valid until the end of the age. Both the promise and the command remain in place. This is the commission of Jesus to his church, and it will stand until Christ comes back in glory from his exalted, ascended position to judge the living and the dead. This is the commission of Jesus to his people this morning. And friends, there is work to be done. There is work to be done and there are disciples to be made for the glory of God. Well, let me leave you with those four challenges on the screen. Maybe take a moment to reflect on just one of them. And why don't you spend a moment now to talk to the Lord about that one thing that God is impressing upon your heart. And in a few minutes time, we're going to sing as we seek to be a church that stands on every promise of God's word. Take a minute now, though, just to reflect and to pray.